Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. Romans chapter 8 is a marvelous exposition on the role and the work and the application of the life-giving Spirit in the life of the redeemed. Paul says in Romans 8 that the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. And then throughout chapter 8, Paul is going to explain so beautifully, so vividly, the role and the efficacy of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. In verse 14, he says that we can actually now be led by the Holy Spirit. In verse 15, the Holy Spirit restores our relationship with the Father. We are no longer a slave. We're no longer afraid. We can actually, by the Spirit, say, Daddy, Abba, Father. In verses 16, the Spirit witnesses with us that we belong to God. We're legitimately the children of God, so much so that we will actually inherit from God and with Christ. Paul goes on to state in verses 17 and onwards that the Christian, even though you're in the Spirit, you at times may also suffer. But there's something of glory being wrought into the believer, deposited within the believer, something of glory being guarded for the believer, that if we can just stay the course, remain in the Holy Spirit, in time we will come forth in this glory. Paul begins to say also that even during suffering, there are days and times that we don't know how to pray and we are weak. And yet the Holy Spirit is right there to even pray with us. And He groans and intercedes with us and for us and in us and through us. The work of the Holy Spirit is just so rich and so meaningful. But now Paul takes it a step further. And he says in verse 28, All things are going to work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. We know that the Holy Spirit is the one who works all things together for the good. Even in times of difficulty, the Spirit is there to work the purposes of God. So Paul now closes his exposition on the Holy Spirit and in a way, the involvement of the Holy Spirit. But now, it's as though he comes to the climax. It's as though he comes to the trophy, to what the glory is all about. In our mind, we may think glory means palaces and houses and heaven and gold and jewels. And... But Paul describes actually in verse 29, what is the destiny? What is the glory? What is the consummation, the, the high peak of the purposes of God. Verse 29 states, Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed 
to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This to me is the most marvelous verse in all of Romans chapter 8. This is where Paul says all things are going to work together for good. And now he explains what is the actual good? What is the purposes of God? And there you have it in verse 29. To take on, to be conformed, to be changed, to be transformed into the image of the Son of God. It's as though anything and everything else in the eternal economy of God, has to take a second place compared to the Son of God. Our final destination, Paul says, what what glory is really all about is to be conformed, to be like the Son of God. In the book of Genesis... This was God's original intention with man, is to be like God. And he created them male and female in the image of God. When Paul states in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that glory of God is attached to the image of God. That is what was lost at the fall. Man fell from the image of God and took on the image of just sin and death and flesh. And so we lost the glory. What is the glory? The very likeness, the very image of the most beautiful person in the entire universe, seen and unseen. So we ask this question. What is salvation then? Is salvation just to go to heaven? Is salvation just to escape, let's say, uh, the consequences of sin and death? It has to be more than that. Salvation has to be a recovery to the image of the Son of God. So why the entire book of Romans? Well, Paul starts out with this this issue of sin. We've all sinned, whether you are Jewish or whether you are religious or a Gentile, be ye male or female, whether you've heard of God or never heard of God, we all have a problem. We have fallen from the image of God. And so what is salvation? Paul then tells us through the book of Romans, the entire story of the process God went through to procure salvation. And then here, chapter 8, we are given the life-giving Spirit. But why are we given the Holy Spirit? To feel good? To have goosebumps? Are we given the Holy Spirit to be sensational and to levitate and to glow with, with, with glory orbs and rays? And what, Why are we given the Holy Spirit? Why is the Holy Spirit at work within the believer to justify him, to restore the relationship with the Father, to pray through his weaknesses? Why are we given the Holy Spirit? Is it just for spiritual giftings, to be strong? Paul answers it here. We are given the Holy Spirit to do a work within us, to change us, to transform us, not just to make us better, 
not just to make me good, but this is the purpose of God. This is the predestination of God. You might say this is the decree of God, that the Holy Spirit's mandate is to conform me to the image of Christ. It is interesting that this very clear, simple understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit to, to work out the purposes of God in the believer to conform them to Christ, it has been so twisted and perverted into an issue of heaven and hell. Very often I have young, naive, and ignorant believers ask me, why does God choose some people to go to heaven? And why does he choose some people to go to torment and destruction and, as they call it, hell? Then I ask them, where, where do you read that in the Bible? They're like, oh, Romans chapter 8. Um, you have been predestinated. And then I say, okay, let's look at Romans 8. Are you open to just read it with me? I say, let's, let's read verse 29. Those whom he foreknew, these he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. I said, okay, show me the word heaven in verse 29. Can you show me the word hell in verse 29? I said, okay, let's look at verse 28. What about verse 30? What about verse 27, the foregoing verses? What about verse 31 and afterwards? Does the word heaven even appear? Does the word hell appear? And folk are confused because they read into the text these imaginary renderings thereof. It says that God foreknew. So then he foreknew who would go to heaven. He foreknew who would go to hell. Really? Is that what it says? Let's read it again. All things work together for good. What is that good? What is that purpose? It's to be conformed to the image of Christ. It's typical Pauline thought where Paul would make a statement and then expound the statement. Make a statement and expound the statement. So verse 28 is the statement. The Spirit works all things together for good. All that you need to do is stay in the love of God and remain in the calling of God and the purposes of God. What is that calling? What is that purpose? He answers it in verse 29. Verse 28, the statement. Verse 29, the explanation. So it says he foreknew. The word heaven is not there. The word hell is not there. So what did he foreknew? Here it is. God foreknew what he was going to do once he redeemed sons and daughters unto himself. And he made a decree in time. Christ will step into time and be incarnated. Christ will go through human living. Christ will go through crucifixion and death and burial. And Christ will deal with the issues of sin and death in the grave. After three days, Christ will rise. Beloved, this is the decree of God. This is the process of God. This is the mandate God had in mind. Pre-creation. In eternity past, God decreed and predestined that this would be the path. Then Christ would come up in resurrection. It was decreed. Christ would be exalted and ascended and enthroned. The Holy Spirit would be given to man. Then God decreed, okay, 
when the Holy Spirit is given to the new sons and daughters, what is the Holy Spirit supposed to do? He is supposed to conform them to the image of Christ. That's what God foreknew. And that's what God decreed. That's his eternal purpose, at least in this context. It's not heaven. God foreknew who was going to go to heaven, who was going to go to hell. That kind of logic or reason, it's just strange in the context of Romans chapter 8. God foreknew all right, but what did he foreknew? He foreknew the end product. And it states the end product. It's to be conformed to his son. So that's why no matter where the sons and daughters come from, no matter on what continent the sons and daughters live, now that they are in Christ, what is the Holy Spirit going to do? God foreknew that this is going to be the Holy Spirit's agenda and mandate to conform them to Christ. And then if you read further, Paul explains now the process in verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This, by the way, is all written in the past tense. It's as though in the decree of God, this was a done deal. So think of it this way. God knew that there was going to be the need for a sacrifice. That's why Revelation 13 verse 8 states that Christ, you know, as the lamb, was even crucified and slain before the foundations of this earth, this world. God knew that with the creation of time and space in this visible uh, universe, there was going to be a fall. God knew that, but it didn't surprise him. Christ already died, and out of his death came this creation. So God knew all that had to happen to redeem um, those who would fall. That's why he already died in eternity past. So in God, it has already happened. It is decreed that the blood of the Lamb is going to wash people and the Spirit is going to transform people. But Romans 8 verse 30 states the process of God conforming people to His image. Those whom He predestined. It's not those whom He predestined unto heaven or unto hell or chose for life and chose for death. Those whom he predestined, God knew what he was going to do with sons and daughters. And he predestined sons and daughters, not angels. The Spirit is not making us into seraphim or cherubim or some angelic hierarchical being. God predestined and foreknew that we were going to be sons and daughters. It says those whom he predestined, he called. So what does God have to do? He has to call us, just like he called Adam in the garden. Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? God has to call, knock, woo, pursue. God is really the author of salvation. God is the one who initiates. And so, yes, if, if he wants sons and daughters out of sinners, then he has to call them. And so Paul states the process. The next thing Paul states is that the ones who answer the call... 
he justifies. And that's through the work of his son. And in the ones who are justified, the Spirit can now begin a work in them of glorification. But then again, verse 30, in a way, is all done in the mind and heart of God. So now God employs time and process to work out this predestination, to work out this calling, to work out this justification, and to work out this glorification. So from God's perspective, it is decreed and it's a done deal. And God knows that what the Son is going to do and God knows what the Holy Spirit is going to do. But in our experience, it is time and process. Time and lots of process. And that is the heart of this message. I want to talk to you just a little bit about God going through a process with you where you and I are not just in a day changed or in a day transformed. It's very much a process. The following clip highlights just this idea of God employing process to change us, to reach us, to conform us, to transform us. On the back end of this little audio clip here, I have three things that I want you to be aware of regarding process. God is going to engage each and every person that is living under the sun in a process to fulfill his purposes. Isn't it interesting that in the book of Genesis, God, who can just snap his finger, can create and restore this planet in like a one word, yet he took seven days. Does that not strike you as interesting? That God, who is almighty, all-powerful, himself, under the time capsule, gets engaged in a process. Day one, day two, day three. Is everybody with me? Is it not interesting that every man and every woman in the biblical record that was mightily used of God all went through a process of time? Let me give you some examples. Um... Everybody, uh, you may have heard of a man by the name of uh, Abraham. At 75 years old, God was still working in that man. And he told him, I'm going to give you an, a son, offspring. But do you know that that son only came 25 years later? Time. And God submitted Abraham to a process. He was walking out communion with God, obedience to God, faith in God through a process. It didn't just come together for the man overnight. Now, I know I'm about to hurt the American mindset here where we like things now, and I'm an American now too. I, we don't like process. But as long as you're living in this time capsule, there will be seasons to your life. There will be processes that God sovereignly will bring about in your life 
to work with you, to refine you, to train you. Um, I want to give you a couple of the processes that you can expect as long as you're living on this earth. Because no man or woman of God on this earth are going to arrive overnight. I think of um, Abraham, some 25 years before the promise comes to pass, then God still worked with this man. I think of a man by the name of Moses, who for 40 years went through the process of shepherding sheep on the backside of the desert. For 40 years, that's the time. But the process was learning to lead, learning to obey, trusting. He did not escape that. Neither did David. David went through a process to become the king. I think of a man by the name of, uh, let's say, Jesus. 30 years going through a process. Jesus could have just come out as a baby and said, Wah, wah, it finished. <laughs> he could have just come out like that and... We're all redeemed and the rest is history. But no, God submitted this man, even the Son of God, submitted to time and process. He had to grow up and learn and mature. And his character had to be formed and grow in wisdom and favor with God and with man. I think of disciples who didn't get the truth that the Lord were teaching overnight. They submitted to a process of three odd years and some. To learn the things of God. And you want God to answer you overnight. And you get all offended. Oh, he didn't answer me. <laughs> He's not going to. The servant of God is time. And somehow God is not bothered. Have you all noticed God is not bothered to do anything fast? He submits you rather to a process. Because the process is God. Now you can blame, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. No, regardless of what they've done to me and blaming others, say, God, work in me. What are you doing? Every disciple engaged in a process. We think that Paul, the man who wrote so much of our New Testament, we think, you know, this is where folks speculate, some 14, maybe 17 odd years, the man was just in process, being trained of God. Example after example. I don't have time to go into all of it. And you and I get offended when God don't answer you overnight. And we get offended when the pressure is turned on. And we get offended when things are not favorable. I want to tell you all, God is at work. But you're not discerning how to cooperate with God and how to partner with the process. So I want to tell you just real briefly, you know this, a couple of things you can expect as long as you're alive. For everything, there is a season. There is a time for every purpose under heaven. And since you are under time, these are some of the things now that you can expect. There will be a time to be born. Anybody? And there's a time to die. You know, there's an expiration on all of y'all's lives. I've got good news for you. You are one day closer to your end than you've ever been. <laughs> Basically, in your life, you're going to experience times of life and times of death. 
all of that is the process that God engages in your life. And you will have to work through those times that you feel so alive as much as you work through those times when you just you struggle and say, God, what are you doing? What are you teaching? He's in all of that working. You can expect a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. That is, there's a time to work hard. I'm cussing now. I'm, I'm, forgive me, young people. I'm so sorry. But there is a time to plant. And to plant, you normally have to plow. And morning and evening, day in and day out, work the soil. I know some farmers in this house. Even planting, by its very definition, is not a thing that's overnight. It's a process. And then that seed that you sow in the ground, it takes time. And it takes process. And it takes seasons. But all the while, God is working. And no matter what season you're in today, a, a season of planting or a season of harvesting, God's in it. Are you discerning of what God is doing? And are you growing through it all? That's the question before the house. It says there's a time to kill and a time to heal. There's a time to, in a way, cut off and kill and let go of relationships. There's a time to have some and then not have some. There's a time to say yes and a time to say no. And through all of that, the Holy Spirit wants to lead you and guide you and grow you and mature you in every season of life. It's not just in the good seasons that God wants to show up. It's in the times of famine that God wants to show up. But why is it that the one person... Take all these seasons and he's growing. And the other person, he selects what seasons. And therefore he stays in a way. He keeps missing what God is doing. And he never quite grows up. You should expect sometimes to be killing, time to heal, time to tear down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh. I want to tell you, a whole life of laughing is not of God. There's some mourning in there also. And God is just as much in your tears. And He's teaching and growing and refining. Instead, we get better. Why not say, God, I'm struggling. Oh, Lord, I'm hurting. What are you doing? Show me, God. Show me how to partner. And make use of that time of mourning. Okay? Um, Time to weep, time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. Now, this one's for the college. Do you see? Time to party. Just, I would only ask, don't party if you've not, like, succeeded in anything just yet. <laughs> okay. There's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. Really good rule here at Legacy. A time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to throw away. Um, there's a time to tear, a time to sow, a time to be silent. A time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. Now, why is God giving you all of these many seasons? Under the sun, there's really nothing new. You're experiencing exactly what Solomon experienced. There's nothing new. Except, are you learning 
from the seasons and the processes God have you in. In the winter seasons of life, when everybody rejects you, are you learning that the Lord is your comfort? Or are you all like bitter? Because if you come out of that season of loneliness and hurt and rejection, and you know that God is your comforter, saints, you've learned something. You've maximized time. You've lived. But if the seasons of your life come and go and the moments and all the processes you're in and you're not learning, saints, listen to this. If you are not learning, you're not really living. So my challenge to you tonight is what season are you in and are you seeking God in that season? Here's time, and all the many eras of time, we call them dispensations. And um, in a certain fullness of time, Jesus the Christ came forth. And He came to His own, we call them the Jewish people. And um, He wanted to come and minister, and love, and of His own Speaking, the Lord said, I wanted to come and like a mother, just like a hen, gather you in a way under my wing. In the fullness of time, God saw fit to bring forth Jesus. And He came to His own to come scoop Him up, to come love Him, to come minister to them. But over and over and over again, they rejected Him. And then one day, He made this statement. Here's Jesus, and He's teaching, and He's healing, and He's ministering, and He's casting out devils and demons, and He's just showing them that the kingdom of God is here, and that Jesus is the Messiah. And they kept rejecting, and they said, no, you are actually the devil himself. And they said, you're, you're not our Messiah. And then He makes this statement, He says, you have not discerned the hour of your visitation. Therefore, your house is left to you desolate. Some of you that have studied a little bit, you'll know what I'm talking about. In Matthew, the Lord said, I came to you, but you did not discern the hour of God's visitation. Can you all follow with me? This was the moment that God, who's in charge of time, and timing, God sovereignly decreed that Jesus should come to Israel at such a time as that. And the Lord came and He ministered the word of His Father. But they did not discern the hour of their visitation, the hour that God came to them, the hour that God walked among them, that God spoke to them, that God led them and shepherded them. And they didn't discern that. And here's what happens is that God is in your life. Of course, if you let Him, but still, He's present. Here's the trick. Can you discern the hour of God's visitation? That is, can you discern that God is with you in that difficult class, that difficult process, 
God is the one who created seasons. And uh, to Noah, he said, in Noah's day, he said, until the end of time, there will be seed time and harvest time. And every season will keep going until the end. That is, I'm going to keep working. And I'm going to show up. But can you discern that the Lord is working in your life? Or are you still blaming your parents? Blaming your professor? Blaming they and them? And Do you get what I'm saying? God just is. He's here. But the trick is, can you discern God among you? God with you? God in you? Because God is visiting you. In every season, He's visiting you. And He's somehow allowing you certain processes, and they're difficult. But right there, you'll know His comfort. Right there, you'll know His shepherding. Right there, you'll know His power. So, He has to allow you to go through certain processes, guys. But can you discern what God is doing in that process? Then Jesus would say this, because you were not able to discern the hour of God's visitation to you. Jesus spoke to the Jewish people and He said, Your house is left to you desolate. In other words, the glory is withtracting. God is moving on. And we know that the temple was eventually destroyed and God moved on from Judaism to a whole brand new thing we call the new creation. That is, Christ in you. But that word, here it is. Your house is left to you desolate. That is, God is withdrawing in a sense and you're suffering the loss of His work in that moment. You're suffering His involvement in that moment. Why? Because you're not discerning that He's there and He is working. And He's just asking that you would seek Him and cry out to Him and cling to Him and obey and submit and walk with Him. Y'all with me? What happens is I keep rejecting Him. I don't need you, God. Where are you, God? You're not here. We get all offended and all bitter. And what happens? No wonder you feel desolate. So I want to challenge you. No matter what's going on in your life, and I know there's difficulty for some of us. I had a difficult week. But I spent a little bit of time with my Lord. I said, Lord, I want to discern what you are teaching me in this hour. Y'all, I had a little bit of a difficult week. It was not quite that favorable. It was not quite a harvest week for me. I've told the students a little bit. It was a struggle. But instead of just go sitting in a corner and throwing a pity party. There we go with partying again. (laughs) Instead of throwing a pity party and sulking and blaming and getting all bitter, I said, Lord, I'm struggling. I'm in a season of drought, winter, difficulty, God. I need you. And I want to tell you guys, I've had a blast this week. Difficult, but I've learned a few things and I'm all the wiser for it. Next week will be another season and another visitation and another process God goes, takes me through and I'm going to learn the lesson. Will you discern the hour that God is visiting with you? That He's wanting to knock on your door, teach you. And I want to tell you, as long as you're under time, God will constantly knock at your door. Constantly. Trying to get your attention. I want to charge you to discern. And stop looking at the circumstance around you. 
and stop trying to blame and just say, Lord, I'm in a process. Show me. Teach me. Guys, I cannot think of a better way to live. And maximize time. And enjoy the process and learn and come out the other side a little wiser, a little bit more refined, a little bit more grown, a little bit more sensitive, a little bit more meek, broken, whatever it would be. Is everybody with me? Don't tell me God's not working. God is working because you're in time. And until you breathe your last, the Father will be working. When there's death, learn from it. If there's life, enjoy it. When it's time to work, work hard. God's in it. If it's time to rest, rest well. God's in it. God is just... God is. God is. I don't know how to say it more profoundly. Amen? Amen. And how do you know that you've used the time allotted to you well? How do you know that you've maximized the day, the week, the month, the season, and you've really gotten from God what He needed for you to learn in that season? How do you know you'll bear the fruit of that season? You cannot bear fruit if you've not been cultivated. So whatever season you're in, bunker down. Because the fruit will be evident that you've invested here. So how do you know you're living? Fruit. Just ask the folk around you. Tell me about my life and my fruit. And they'll tell you whether you're wasting time or not. Amen. The Father is glorified when we bear much fruit. As you are walking in the Holy Spirit and you are learning to hear His voice and discern His leading and by the Spirit you learn to put to death the deeds of the body and cry, Abba, Father, and you pray in the Holy Spirit, you are in a process. And There are three things that I want to bring to your attention as you are in this process. Remember, you're not in the process to just become good or better or the process to go to heaven and live in some kind of a mansion. The greater work, the higher work, the more profound work of the Spirit of God in us is the process of conforming us to the image of God's Son. The first thing that I want to remind you of as you're going through seasons and going through many processes is to discern God, not others. Discern God, not others. It's so easy to be people-focused. It's so easy to blame and to accuse and to find fault. But if you do that, you're going to miss the application of the Holy Spirit in your life, conforming you to Christ. Don't throw rocks at other people. Discern rather what God is saying to you, even through those difficult circumstances, even through those difficult people. Put your mind on the Spirit. Do not put your mind 
on the things of the flesh. Do not consult the flesh of people. Rather, say, Lord, where are you? And even if it is meant for evil against you, nevertheless, God can still gain something of Christ in you. That's just the beauty of a sovereign Lord. So discern God. Rather pray, God, what, what are you changing in me? God, what are you confronting in me? God, what are you addressing in me? Discern God. It says there in uh, Matthew 23, verse 38, and also in Luke 19, verse 34, that they did not discern the visitation of God when Christ came and, and lived among his people. They did not discern. They just thought it's some Nazarene, some rogue, renegade rabbi, some uh, rebel revolutionary. And they had whatever label, some false messiah. They even accused him of being, you know, the Lord of the devils. They, they could not discern that it was actually God among them. And if we don't discern God, we are going to miss our growth and transformation more and more in the image of Christ. Number two, accept the dealings of God in your life. Accept the dealings of God. When God is dealing, confronting, and we might even say from Hebrews chapter 12, God is disciplining you. It's so that you can be a partaker of His holiness, Hebrews 12 would say. So when God deals with you and addresses issues in your life, submit to it, receive it. Uh, don't resist God. Don't fight God. If He is addressing idolatry, if He is addressing your flesh, if He is addressing your paradigms, let God do his work. Don't resist the dealings of God. At times, the dealings of God are so wonderful. At times, the dealings of God are genuinely awful. And we are often prone in those dealings to traject it as to be from the enemy of God. Get behind me, Satan. No, I rebuke you. And of course, we find fault with they and them and the others, and even with the demons and devils and the spirit world. But the Lord would rather say, take out the tree out of our own eye and allow God to confront, allow him to deal with you. And number three, as you are in the processes of God, sometimes wonderful processes, sometimes difficult, laborious um, groaning and travailing processes. Consider, remember the destiny God has in store for you. And the destiny is glorification. And the destiny, the final climax, the great crescendo of God's destiny is that you and I would be conformed to the image of Christ. If you don't know who Christ is, you may not stomach the work of God well. That's why I strongly recommend you spend a good amount of time in the Gospels every now and again, and particularly the book of Revelation, and just 
grapple again with this beautiful man, this stunning Messiah we call Jesus the Christ, the Son of David, the Son of God. Look again at this beautiful man, and I can assure you a good study and a good observation of Christ will attract your heart to this man. And yes, when the processes of God begins to be tough, consider that God is working in you and through you to become like that beautiful man. If you don't know your Lord, you don't know the beauty of your Lord, you don't know the stunning man that Christ was in his humanity and the stunning man that he is in his divinity, then you will lose heart in the process of fire and trial. But consider the destiny, and in doing so, focus on the Lord. Because even though they mean it for evil, even though this world is out to get us, crush, persecute the saints of God, God is still at work to bring about the most beautiful person in the universe image through us and in us. Beloved, this is your destiny. This is my destiny as a son and daughter of God. And this is Romans chapter 8. This is verse 1 all the way to the very last verse where nothing can separate me from the love of God. All is working towards this goal, this crescendo. Christ in me. I like my Lord. Me. Fully. In the image in the glory, in the likeness of the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ.